0: Today in TFC Stock Geek we're going to explore a company that's synonymous with coffee, but probably a lot more than meets the eyes. They've created one of the largest payment rewards network. Think about it. When people top up their rewards card, there is an increase in propensity to spend, right? And you get their emails, you get their data, you know what they want, you know when they purchase, you know when they are not purchasing, and this company is not shy of using all their data and stock credit in their ecosystem to create affinity targets consumers and double down on various initiatives. They are way more than just a coffee company, but even at the core, they are still selling coffee. So how do they then continue to stay competitive in the coffee market while doing all these initiatives and not eroding the fundamental consumer experience? So joining me today to geek out on this coffee giant seller is Thomas Chua from SteadyCompounding.com. He's one of the amazing individuals that has turned his side hustle hobby investing into his core hustle today. He's a deep believer in value investing and we're going to dive deep into this company called Starbucks. You probably don't need me to share with you more about Starbucks. Everybody has their own unique experience with Starbucks but as a business, it is way more complicated and interesting that you can imagine. Think Starbucks rewards, think controlling a global supply chain to ensure consistent flavour, think localising offering, and most importantly, Starbucks was supposedly one of the biggest and best company in terms of corporate culture and a growth trajectory for its staff. So in that sense, if it's taking care of its staff, taking care of its customers, taking care of its business, then it's a pretty good business, right? So there's a lot more to learn about why this company is at such a stage and can they continue to grow. For your reference sake, this episode was recorded on the 17th of June 2021 and released early to community members. Our discussion today is solely for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not serve as any form of advice or recommendation. Thank you for loving what we do and empowering us financially to do more for you. Let's geek out. So, okay, today we're going to talk about an interesting company. Um, a lot of people will think that they only sell coffee, uh, which is not, not technically wrong. I mean, we're not talking about like tea and all that. They closed their tea business, by the way. And we, we can talk about that also, right? Why did they decide to close their whole tea venture and all that jazz? But this company is definitely way more than just selling coffee. And today in the house, we have Thomas Chua from City Compounding to talk about Starbucks. Like, is it a tech company selling coffee? Yeah, nice. Thanks for coming on.
1: Hi everyone. Yeah, I think you're you're exactly right. Like um Starbucks, they are one of the first um F and B company to really make a very big foray into um technology because I think they, they recognize that um the future of even for food and beverages is gonna be digital and during this COVID 19 we see that uh they have really benefited from the strong technology infrastructure. Um they have actually built up um Right up to this COVID-19. But um before we go in, maybe we talk about like for restaurant companies, um their business models actually there are three three major types. So the first one is actually company-owned stores. This is where the companies set up the restaurants themselves and then earn revenues directly. Um, from those who make visits. Um, One good example of this is Chipotle. 100% of their stores is um, running on company-owned business model because they wanted to ensure that the quality is the best. Um, Another one is uh, Chick-fil-A. You know, they also do 100% company-owned store because to the owners, this is the most important thing. Then the second type of business model is uh, licensed stores. Now, the important thing to differentiate between company-owned store and licensed store is because licensed store is very, very capital-like. Meaning like for the company to grow, they don't need much capital because it is the licensee who's coming up with the capital. So when you look at um, companies like Domino, almost 100% licensed store. If you were to look at um, the share price, they IPO the same time around as Google and Facebook. But their returns beat them by way way ahead so like google for example returns shareholders about 300 400 but domino's return close to 2500 percent. you know just from selling pizza shout so, out to
0: our pizza seller <laughs> yeah man like like you
1: would think um everybody say tech companies can scale and everything but um f&b if you have the right business model you can also scale uh, just as quickly because you're not constrained by capital yeah. So, then, wait, franchise
0: and licensing is the same thing, right? Just kind of get clarification there.
1: Uh, yes. Yeah, exactly okay. right. So, um, I'll, I'll be jumping between these two terms, um, mm. true and fro. but um, they, they mean the same thing, franchise and license. Basically, someone else is coming up with the money to set up the stores on behalf of the company. And this company um, who are running this business model, they focus exclusively on marketing and on um, ensuring that uh, there's new recipes coming up. And they also take charge of um, developing the technology. So you see Domino's, they are very strong um, with tech as well, Um, delivery first company. You know, like um, Uber actually copied their idea. Like when you see the driver coming on the way, you know, like because people are getting impatient, like where's my driver? So, you know, you are able to see your car coming round the corner. So back then, um, when it comes to pizza delivery, they are getting a lot of phone calls. Where's my pizza? So they they got the idea why not just show where the rider is you know then you can reduce a lot of contact and when people know roughly where they are you know they are less likely to be angsty you know yes
0: my goodness yes gone are those days gone are those days these days you can see everything but yes yes
1: so then the third one, um, it is a mixture of above. And this is where Starbucks and McDonald's lie. So when Starbucks first started out, Howard Schultz, actually set the direction for Starbucks to be almost 100% company-owned. Um, because apart from ensuring that uh, he wants the quality to be top-notch, he also thought of, um, when it comes to motivating your employees-wise, um, you want to give them a uh, share ownership. Uh, when it comes to running their own store, so they are in charge of their own store KPI, you know, and then they are also rewarded share options based on that. Um, but licensee stores, um, the employees in the licensee stores, they don't get that kind of metric, and they don't get rewarded with share options because it's another company running this. So they are not rewarded the same way as those company uh, who are company own approach. But we see that gradually change um, as time goes by, um, especially when it comes to the more mature market. Once things have stabilized already, Starbucks' approach is to start turning them into licensed model. They'll start um, to sell the rights to external companies to start running this uh, Starbucks store in order to release capital to eat into new growing markets uh, like China. So China is almost 100% company-owned. Whereas for Singapore, it was almost 100% company-owned until like four years ago because um, Singapore is super mature already. Not, Nothing much they can do here. So they actually licensed out the whole of Singapore's Starbucks store. Mm. And another reason why they started to move um, towards licensed store, uh, especially in certain countries such as Japan, for example, is because they are able to get um, access to really good property. Um, when it comes to venturing into these foreign countries. Because like in America, they're familiar with the property landscape. Every shopping mall will want to have a Starbucks because Starbucks actually attract people to come into the shopping mall. So like if you were to go to America, right, you will see inside every Target store, there will be a Starbucks. Um, because Target recognizes that like you want to fight e-commerce, you must offer something other than low prices, because if you want low prices, people will just go to Amazon, right? So mm-hmm. you must offer some different experience. Um, but when it comes to a foreign country like uh, Japan or Bangkok, for example, like you want to dominate um, prime property area. And it is not easy for someone from the US HQ to come in and negotiate uh, for all these lease agreement. So that's when they start to um, tap onto the local companies in Bangkok and in Japan, you know, whereby they have the expertise in securing highly, um, highly lucrative locations. Like you just look at the Shibuya or you look at any, you just run a Starbucks Japan, you see like super, super pretty Starbucks at super, super good location with really good human traffic. And, And this is important to Starbucks because Starbucks actually don't rely on advertisement to build up its brand. It actually relies on like very expensive renovation and really good locations are much like what Zara is doing. You don't see Zara advertising a whole lot as well, but they always occupy the most upscale location and people will associate upscale location with the branding of Starbucks you know that that helps keep the branding very prestigious um, so this is key to Starbucks marketing strategy in a sense they don't pay for advertisement, but property wise and renovation wise it must be the best location and it must be the prettiest um, coffee joint around the whole area. Like, they must be able to stand up.
0: Maybe not the nicest coffee, but definitely the nicest coffee shop. I agree. Yeah, this is I agree.
1: <laughs> yeah. Actually, there's a fun fact. Um, they overroast their coffee. So, mm. it's standardized throughout all stuff. But because at their scale, the last thing you want to happen is a coffee at... Um, Tanjong Paga tasting better than the coffee Woodlands, for example.
0: It's an important business process that a lot of people don't recognise. You can run one or two cafes and run it very, very well. But when you want to scale into the thousands and the millions uh, and at least the tens of thousands of cafes and you want them to all have a consistent flavour, right. that's a whole different supply chain issue. So I think Starbucks is doing a good job in that sense, la, which you rightfully point out they overroasted to keep that yeah. kind of That's why they got no single origin. ah. Yes, yes. All mixed one. All all, all mixed coffee. Yes.
1: Exactly. Yeah, so this consistency coupled with their strategy of occupying the base location, right? You can see the results coming out um, on a lot of social media platforms. When we look at um, Instagram, for example, if you search hashtag Starbucks against the next top 10 competitors, um, Starbucks is going to beat them. Like you can add up the next top 10 competitors in terms of posts, and views, right? None of them will come close to Starbucks. Even if you were to add them up together, so I like this saying by Seth Godin, who is a teacher of marketing. So he is a author of this is marketing, and he always said the secret to marketing success is word of mouth. If you are able to get word of mouth, right, that's the best form of advertising. Because when when you are trying to advertise through commercials, etc., like people will be dubious. I I don't trust. But word of mouth is the strongest of them all. And Starbucks is really just excellent at doing that. So when we look at the amount of market share they have, right? Starbucks, when it comes to occupying the coffee specialty market, they occupy 46.2%. And the remaining of the player, none of them occupy more than 3%. So the next top 10 players come up together when it comes to coffee market share is also nowhere near the scale of Starbucks. So Starbucks really has... uh, a mode, in a sense, uh, when it comes to location, is top of mind of every, because every corner you see, turn around, you see Starbucks, you know, you're always reminded of the brand. And not just that, you also have the skill when it comes to negotiating with suppliers on coffee beans. And, you know, they're also um, quite a sought-after employer.
0: Mm, mm. Can you share with us a little bit more about specialty coffee, you know, in a sense of, like, how do we know what is uh, considered specialty coffee? Because uh, a lot of companies, they like to... Mm themselves at oh we are top ten in a particular thing or we are the number one in a particular thing, but that segment can actually be very small, you know. So right. I just wanna get a clearer idea of like what defines specialty coffee, and you know what are the other kind of uh, coffee you know segments in general.
1: I I think the best way is to look at the price and then look at the and then you look at the <laughs> menu, right? <laughs> it's like yeah right? <laughs> Yeah, you look at the word like nitro, cold brew, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, 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 and you're able to customize your coffee to a certain extent. You want almond milk, you want oat milk, you want mm, coconut mm. milk, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think cafes that offer this type of coffee are uh, essentially direct competitors of Starbucks. Like, yeah. I, I mean, when it comes to uh, yeah, thinking about specialty coffee, I think that's the best way. The, the price tag must be quite high and uh, you can customise. Uh, you see a lot of fancy names on the menu.
0: Yes, yes. And Starbucks tried to do FMCG. They are trying again... Right, they're trying yes. to go into the mass market. We can talk about that as we go along, but you, you pointed out that Starbucks actually has a very good reputation in terms of being one of the best employers and this is something that everybody talks about. What made you say that they're one of the best employers and like, how do you define, Like, how do you recognise that they're actually a very good employer?
1: I, I think um, one thing we can do is go on Glassdoor. Um, generally, their Glassdoor rating is quite high. Um, okay, so Glassdoor and what the management say is one thing, right? Um, still, <laughs> money talks, right? So the amount they pay is way above uh, minimum wage. Uh, when you compare it to their competitors, Starbucks is the highest paying um, employer, at least in America. I mean, I, they don't really uh, review how much they pay when it comes to the other countries, but I would assume, you know, they are paying more as well. And like, um when you look at social media or Reddit, for example, Reddit, they have this thread called R slash Starbucks. And then you will be able to see um, roughly what the employees are going through. Are they happy there? For example, so, so you get a rough sensing from the different social media platforms. But still, I, I think when it comes to the facts, uh, the fact is uh, they are paid the most and they have a lot of support program when it comes to supporting um, the handicapped uh, war veterans or even um, if you are coming from a less well-to-do family then, you know, and you have been working there for several years, they are very willing to send you to university and after that, if you want to get promoted to manage... I think one of the top management that they use, she used to start out as a barista. So I, I can't remember her name, but they are very willing to promote internally as well. So this, these are some of the traits I see. For Starbucks, when it comes to be, being a good employer, that's
0: cool. That's cool. Yes, definitely promoting internally has a lot of research papers saying that it's actually very beneficial for the company. Mm. So it's good that they are doing that. You know, but what are their major competitors, actually, you know, before we move into like what mm. is their store count and all that stuff, yes.
1: Yeah, so there are competitors like, for example, um, in I mean, in Singapore, you look at uh, Coffee Bean, uh, which has been acquired by Jollibee, I think. Yeah. Then um, there are also others like uh, Tali Seattle Coffee um, or even your Mac Cafes. Costa Coffee is owned by Coca-Cola and they are very strong uh, in the UK. But the the biggest competition uh, when it comes to the Europe and Australia is that they have very strong existing coffee culture. Meaning like if you were to go to Australia or you go to somewhere in Italy, more often than not, people are not going to entertain Starbucks. Um, the only success they saw recently in Italy was because they opened the Starbucks uh, roastery there, which is yes. um, the equivalent of Willy Wonka factory for coffee yes. beans, la, right? It's <laughs> huge, like a coffee museum. Yes,
0: yeah. yes, so that yes. one has a it bit of but
1: mm. Yeah, it becomes entertainment, a tourist attraction. Um, but other than that, uh, the biggest competitor for Starbucks is actually not really Costa Coffee etc. Because uh, when we look at the market share and how well they are doing, none of them can beat Starbucks. But uh, in terms of impeding um, their growth overseas, it is those countries with existing coffee culture, strong coffee culture, which is why you see them going very strongly into China because China is a tea drinking country. No, there's nobody drinking coffee there. So they go there, they invest a lot of money in raising awareness and they spend a lot of money um, They're very willing to burn money when it comes to the first initial stage to get people to associate coffee with the brand Starbucks. And that really got them their share price to be punished back then because uh, when it comes to investing, Wall Street is generally quite short-sighted. So when a company is investing heavily, people thought like the company was just burning cash, you know. But in, in the end, it turned out really well. They become the most dominant player and speaking of competitor, you can see uh, Luckin. Luckin is one example, you know. And I think GIC is invested in them or something. Um, but, <laughs> but it turned out to be a fraud, right? Um, mm-hmm. they, were, they were spending so much money on cashbacks, for example, and getting celebrity endorsement. They were going really fast, but they were not profitable. So Luckin, um, they prided themselves in being able to deliver within 15 minutes. And the coffee like um, is about two dollars compared to Starbucks. Uh, if we look at US dollar, it's about like eight to ten US dollar. But they were not profitable on a unit economic basis. They were spending a lot of money, burning a lot of cash. Um, and when they got caught for the accounting fraud, their funding effectively ceased. Nobody will give them money to burn anymore. So yes, um, their growth has also slowed down quite quite a fair bit la, because their the whole business model was reliant on being able to burn that cash and that thing has just ceased completely. Yeah,
0: yeah. interesting, interesting. And I actually tried Luckin Coffee and I was thinking it? that it, uh, it's, does good, la. <laughs> it does not taste good. It does not taste good. It's just okay,
1: marketing, but, is it?
0: Exactly. No, but uh, a few things, right? So, Luckin Coffee is interesting because they... Essentially, they are totally delivery network. They're position, like a domino's like that. It's only delivery. There's no real in-house seat. So, they have a lot of small little shops that they open all around the city because so that they can assure you that 15-minute delivery. Of course, the delivery network in China is very established, uh, very mature, mm-hmm. you know, compared to any other parts of the world. So, it makes it very easy for them to deliver. But in terms of taste, in terms of uh, quality... I think like what you rightfully point out, right? Being in China, there's no real coffee culture. So people are not there yet. They're not very nuanced in understanding coffee. you know. But I'm not saying that people understand coffee drink Starbucks. Lah. The truth is a lot of people that understand coffee, they also don't drink Starbucks. You know? That is but, the truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is the truth. But if you compare, you know, like Starbucks and Luckin, definitely you can taste the, the palate difference. Starbucks is still uh, like a few notches above. Lah. That's my base understanding. But you rightfully point out, in places like Vietnam, Australia, you know, um, these places have very, very deep and rich coffee culture. Italy right. and Starbucks tried so many times and failed so many times. Um, luckily, they changed a different model now, right? Become like amusement right. park. Okay, become like yes. a, like an entertainment, like, like you know, can go there, out everything, right? So, like, take photo and do all the stuff. So, it becomes a more fun thing, less on just coffee and you, they're seeing a little bit of traction. So, I see a lot of uh, new strategies and, and all that stuff coming out of Starbucks, mm. which is good. I mean, Howard Shops also did hand over to a tech guy, which we can talk about that later. Exactly. Um, yeah, can you give us a, a broad understanding of, like, what is their store makeup, where are they at, and and all that things?
1: So, like when we look at the America store count, um, there's currently about uh, close to 20,000 stores in America, um, about, wow. I think, 18,300 or something. So, about 60% of them is company owned, 40% is licensed. Yeah, and the interesting thing about um when it comes to being a licensed uh store, right, Starbucks actually take about fifteen percent of the licensee store revenue. So um some of the figures I have is uh, like when we look at the amount of money a Starbucks store make in America is about um one point five million US dollar per year each store, and then they would take about fifteen percent of these franchisees. Uh, which is close to $200,000, uh, which is also very profitable. When we look at the America store, the payback period is about two years, meaning like if you set up a new store today, within two years, you will recover your whole cost already, and then everything is profit thereafter. So it's still it's still super profitable for them to continue growing in Americas. And growth is uh, not going to come from opening new stores, but also from um, the same store sales growth. Then when we look at the amount of international stores, um, there's about 14,000 stores at the moment. And there's more licensed stores than owned because when it comes to expanding in the Europe region, uh, including like, uh, for example, UK, Italy, for example, are, their preference is to use a license approach when it comes to overseas um, companies. And because largely they want to focus all their capital going into China because they see that's where the demand is coming from. So um, the amount of money uh, international store make is about seven hundred thousand US dollars. It's about half of what the American store make, um, oh. largely because um, the amount of income when it comes to GDP per capita, when it comes to international store, is just not as high as US. Um, Yet. Yeah. And the amount of take rate, uh, which is essentially how much they take from the licensed store, is about 13%. So for every store about $700,000 in revenue, they take about close to $100,000 um, for these licensee stores. Mm.
0: I have a question here, right? So you you say like the um, the international stores are not performing as well as the US stores, primarily because of spending power, right? Primarily because of the locals ability to buy Mm. and and all that stuff. So are you seeing uh, some sort of growth trend in terms of like same store sales moving higher in these international markets as the international markets, they themselves develop as an economy? Are we seeing that correlation?
1: So at least for Asia, uh, we are seeing a lot of growth in that area Uh, because they don't break out between China, Thailand and, you know, for example, Europe. They don't separate that. So we don't have insights as to which region is the one that is doing very well. Um, But during the earnings call, like um, the amount of stores in China, right, is growing at around 13 to 15% per year. And when we look at the same source steels growth for China, it's growing at a very healthy clip. So the payback period for China stores is about 1.4 years. It's much faster than for the stores in US to break. So like US take two years to break even, but those in China take 1.4 years. So even when the revenue is lower, um, the cost of operating is also lower uh, in these countries as well, which is why it still makes a lot of sense uh, for Starbucks uh, to go in very strongly because from a return on investment point of view, right, the US one is 50%, but uh, China is 70%. Uh, which is much higher. Lah. So, it, it makes a lot of sense for them to go in very strongly.
0: Nice. Oh, also, I think there's a... Let's talk a little bit about same-store sales growth. Um, I think a right. lot of people, when they have no idea about investing in restaurants, um, yes. this is not a very big thing because it's extremely unique to a restaurant business, same-store sales that's growth, right? Because, um, I mean, the reality is you can open more stores and continue to grow, ma, right? So, that's one thing. Right. Um, the other thing is to grow the the actual growth within each store but wall street actually prices very importantly when same store sales exactly. growth slow right they actually penalize the stock price All right so can you kind of walk us through a little bit why is same store sales growth so important and how should we look at this metric
1: yeah so um good question so same store sales growth right is essentially like um, let's say i open up a starbucks store last year compared to this year um, has the amount of sales increase and this is essentially a component of two factors. We are looking at price increases and how much uh, more people are spending, so how many more cups of coffee people are buying. When it comes to monitoring restaurants, people look at this very closely because when the number is going down, it means the restaurant is over-expanding and demand is not catching up. So, the return on investment for each new store is going to go down uh, significantly if a company were to overexpand. So, when we look at other restaurant companies, um, for example, like uh, Domino's, even though they are delivery, but they also do have uh, same store still growth for each delivery unit. On some years, it will be minus 1%, 2%, on other years, it will be like plus 3, plus 5, or even plus 10%. But Starbucks is quite consistently between 3 to 7.5%, largely because they have a very strong pricing power. So every year, like clockwork, they will raise prices 3 to 5%, 3 to 5%, a bit here, a bit there. And um, the amount of tickets, um, tickets meaning like the transaction size, um, how many cups of coffee sold, is also uh, increasing. So um, the other metric we can monitor, which is also similar to same store sales growth, is um, the amount of revenue made per square foot. It's also like to see whether the company has overexpanded. If you see that going down significantly or and same store sales growth at the same time going down significantly then largely it's because the company has overexpanded, and the amount of growth prospect uh, is starting to dwindle and when Wall Street recognises that the growth is starting to slow down you know, they are going to punish the company by shrinking their multiple. So during the prime years of Starbucks they were trading at over 40 times. Um, PE ratio uh, and when we look at their most recent like five to ten years PE ratio is uh, between 25 to 28 so this is what something I like to call like the, the steady state PE ratio currently if we were to normalize their earnings it is about 33 times PE ratio slightly higher than what we are seeing but yeah so like same store sales growth um, important metric because uh, we want to monitor this to see whether the companies still have further room to grow.
0: Nice. Okay, that's good to know. And that is essentially their core business, right? Selling coffees, you know, at all these uh, locations, actually not very little, like a lot of locations, okay? a lot. All, around, yeah. all around the world. Uh, but they're also doing a lot of other things. They are planning a lot of other expansion strategies, you know, uh, FMCG play, digital play and all that. Can you just walk us through what is their growth plans? What is Starbucks game plan before we go into their financials and all that?
1: So the FNCG, right, I, I thought um, they are doing it much better today than previously. So previously they tried to do it themselves. Right. <laughs> it yes, was yes, horrible. Yes. Like sales were tweeted. Tweet, uh, <laughs> Tui, yes. Yeah, tweet. Yeah. So this time round they actually got uh, Nestle and Pepsi to do it for them. And the companies actually, it's not just drawing a royalty from them. Starbucks actually managed to negotiate a super heavy upfront royalty payment. I think it's about $7 billion, which they used to buy back shares um, back in 2019, I think. Yeah, so Nestle, actually, I think Nestle is a loser for that deal. Right after they announced that deal, Nestle share price actually took a nosedive uh, because mm-hmm. I, I think it's just not good for Nestle. Because So when you, when you look at the placing of our Starbucks products in NTUC or any other supermarket, you are starting to see that they are able to occupy super premium um, locations. So when it comes to having distribution power, you are going to see products like your Milo, um, your Coca-Cola, you know, having very, very good display display location. So when you partner with companies like a Nestle, they are going to have very strong bargaining power with these grocery chains um, on where they are going to display their products. And you are able to see like um, sales have actually started to increase because Nestle is just much better at distribution um, than, than Starbucks. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. So, so, so it's good
1: space. that Starbucks is focusing on what they are good at, uh, which is really just opening more cafes, um, doing R&D for new flavours you know, um, and and just focusing on what they are good, and you know this actually released a lot of capital for them. It brought forward so much cash flow, um, so that the company can redeploy for the benefit of shareholders. And when we look at um, the amount of uh, where they are moving in tech, they actually took uh, a page out of Luckin playbook. So like in Starbucks in China, right, you are able to see a lot of stores they call Sing uh, Fei Kui. Right. it's essentially a place for people to do pick up and for riders to come and take. So like, if it's you like look a gong at cha. Okay,
0: it's just like a Gong Cha. Yeah, it's like, yeah a, like a Gong yeah, Cha. <laughs> it looks like a Gong Cha. Okay. Yeah. So so
1: now you see when you look at Starbucks in Singapore, it's a bit awkward. Like um, they have this spare table in the middle of the restaurant for the riders to come and pick it up. Right, it's not exactly super sightly. It's not efficient. The riders will come in and then you know they're confused. Yeah, so fake quite specifically to target the growing preference, changing consumer preference, you know, to, to not talk. You know, last time people, they like to talk, like to be greeted. That's why Starbucks is called a third place, right? But in recent years, um, young people uh, like to order through their phones, minimal conversation, you know, I don't like to queue, um, which is why like they, they, are, they are actually uh, innovating. And we see them... Bringing this strategy in China, which they have executed very well, over to America. So the moment COVID hit, right, they started to take down a lot of their existing store. Because during this shutdown, right, um, the best time is now to transform, right? When there's no better time when everybody is forced to close to start renovating. So they took down uh, about 800 stores uh, in US, about 4% of their total store count in North America. And they started to change them into 100% percent drive through and curbside pickup. Essentially, um, our kong chah, lah, curbside pickup, right? Um, <laughs> and this is, we're we are going to see uh, margins start to increase because, okay, so when we look at Starbucks versus other F&B players, Starbucks margins is significantly higher, not just because they are able to command a premium pricing, but also because they do not maintain a kitchen. And if the transition to Starbucks pickup is successful and they are able to see good reception from this, um, you are going to see margins go up even higher because now you don't even have to maintain any form of sitting for the customers because um, the the amount of rental they they are they need to pay is going to go down significantly if people are just to come in and take and go, yeah, and you are going to see operating leverage work in their favor. Operating leverage means. Um, there's always a fixed cost base for any business and the fixed costs will not grow with the amount of sales done. So, you know, like when sales kick up beyond a certain level, it's going to flow straight down to the net profit and free cash flow is going to start gushing. So this this is a much more efficient way of doing business and they are, they are very fast, very, very decisive um, when it comes to... Uh, adapting to post-COVID era and with more and more people on smartphone technology kicking in, they are almost close to none. The next company I can think of who's so strong digitally um, would be Chipotle. You know, they have a very strong membership program. Starbucks, uh, oh yeah, Starbucks program, membership program is one of the strongest. It's crazy also, yes. It's crazy. Before we we go uh, into the
0: membership program, hmm. can you just walk us through a little bit about the kitchen? Like, you said that they don't have a kitchen, right? So, so... I know a lot of big uh, restaurant brands, they have Central Kitchen, they have the whole supply chain at the back, which is very complicated to manage. Right? But right. For, for Starbucks, when you say they don't have a kitchen, then where are all these products, that, the hot food, all their desserts, where, where do all these things actually come from?
1: So, like, um, <laughs> um, unfortunately, right, when you see, um, even though they charge a very high price, right, it's going to come from a factory um, and after you purchase it, right, they're just going to make hot for you. It's not, they're, they're not being cooked uh, from scratch, yeah, so when it comes to our uh, Starbucks here in Singapore, all the food, you know, you, you see it in the fridge. Well, after you order, they just microwave or they put it inside the oven just to make hot. <laughs> there's, yes,
0: yes, there's, yes. No,
1: there's no kitchen at all. So without uh, a kitchen, the operating cost of each store is coming down significantly. You don't need to buy a lot of equipment. Basically, yes. the only equipment there is the coffee machine. Uh, other than that, and the blenders. Yeah, so they, they don't yes. have like fryer... Or pan pan fry anything? Nothing, just oven and microwave.
0: I think to give everybody some context, right? Running a kitchen is actually very expensive. Just an exhaust alone, right? It's about fifty to a hundred thousand, depending on how far you want to pull the exhaust out, right? So if you think of setting up a restaurant and think of setting up a cafe, and you actually have a hot kitchen. There's a whole different legislation process also. There's all the licenses that you need to get, and infrastructurally, is very heavy, right? So, lucky or not, Starbucks is very efficient. Uh, food may not taste very good, but <laughs> it's a very efficient. It's a very efficient business. So yes, thanks for sharing with us about the kitchen. Yeah, nice. Uh, about the about the rewards. I think there's so much to say about Starbucks rewards as part of their business or the core business process. Um. You know, even from the way they price to the way they have gold membership and right. all the way they kind of like titillate you, right, from a, from a membership right. standpoint. It's like, wow, very song. You know, uh, what, what are some core things that we as investors should look at when we're looking at the, the membership?
1: So, I, I think number one, when it comes to the membership, um, there's a lot of studies done whereby if you have a membership loyalty program, you know, consumers are going to shop much more often with you. And so, Starbucks, from their data alone, right, um, they noticed that if you're a member, you are going to spend three times as more um, really? than non-members. Yeah, wow. you're you're just going to be more inclined to go and chalk up your or or because you already have money inside your wallet, your Starbucks prepaid card. You know, you you want to use it, um, and also because they give you, I think it's called Starbucks leaves or something, yeah. So Starbucks stars, yeah, they call it Starbucks stars. Koi is the ones, koi leaf, yeah. So, <laughs> so you're going to going to spend much more, you know, your. Uh, the, it's, it's going to be do very well for the company revenue. So um, their membership not just function as a way to increase revenue, it is also a free source of float. So what, what do I mean by float? Um, when you look at companies like, uh, especially insurance company, the day you sign a policy, you hand your money over to them until the day you die or the day you get into accident. So between the... The day you hand them the money until the judgment day comes, right, that amount of money they're gonna use it to invest and earn a return. So for Starbucks, this is effectively a free loan, right? They're borrowing money for free for the expansion. And the amount of money they have um, on the prepaid card right now is in the billions. Um I if I never remember wrongly, I think it's, it's between three to four billion dollars just in prepaid cards. Um that effectively is being used to open more Starbucks store or return as cash or buyback shares um, to benefit shareholders. So this amount of free loan is super powerful because like, if you were to go to borrow money, right, um, not only you have to pay interest, but you're also under the pressure uh, whereby like something like COVID-19 happens, right? the bank is going to want their money back. But those prepaid card members, the stores are closed. There's nothing you can do. Yeah, so this is a this is super sticky form of float. And last year, I actually saw a study published like for the year 2020, if we think like um, the amount of money transacted through Apple Pay, Samsung Pay is huge, right? Um, the number one wallet, mobile wallet was actually Starbucks. Yeah, so the Starbucks mobile wallet was the one who transacted the most amount of volume. And, and this really shows like how successful um, they are when it comes to um, getting consumers to download their app and, you know, really use the app uh, to track their behavior, for example. And um, they have this uh, AI called Deep Blue, right? It serves to understand consumer behaviors more. So in the US, it's more common, but um, I think sooner or later, you'll see it come to Singapore. Usually everything you when it comes to innovation, it will happen in China first, then you'll go to US. Then to the rest of the world, so um you are going to start seeing things whereby like if you haven't visited Starbucks for a really long time, you know like maybe they will send you a recommendation together with a voucher like for your favorite drink. So like let's say I drink I drink Java Chip, you know at twelve pm every day. Um, but I I suddenly disappear for two weeks. They are going to start uh, reminding me go get your pushers
0: notification. Yes.
1: You see McDonald's doing that uh, quite often nowadays even though their app is quite poorly designed but but, um, if I don't go to McDonald's very often nowadays then the app will start pushing notification like you're going to get $2 off your next purchase. And we are going to see Starbucks do this uh, more often. Uh, And also with their AI, right? Uh, So the problem with Starbucks pickup now, uh, when it comes to using uh, the membership program, right, is that uh, the queue is super long. If you watch the news, when COVID struck, the pickup line is, it could be as long as one hour plus. Uh, that's just not very good operation management. But when you are able to get more and more people onto the membership platform, you are able to tell them when to come and take it. And, you know, they can pre-order. You don't have to wait there a whole lot. You know, it actually solves the bottleneck, and that's very important um, when they are transiting into this uh, Starbucks pickup and Starbucks drive-through mode, because uh people are not gonna like to queue, and if there's a bottleneck, it's it's just a waste. It's just revenue that could have been earned, but because of operation management uh, problems, uh, you're not you're not earning it. So, I see the technology drive uh, Starbucks membership as a key uh growth factor for them going into the future because um this is a mode. Other smaller chains are not going to have money to invest in this. You you see them going onto Food Panda, onto Grab, etc. They are they, they won't have the expertise, the manpower, uh, to come and develop their own application. And when you're on Grab, you're on Food Panda, you are at the, at the mercy of these platforms. You know, they are going to prioritize companies like, uh, McDonald's or Manhattan Fish Market because they pay top advertising dollars, and you're going to be funnelled all the way to the bottom. Um, and Starbucks recognized this very early on. So they they are paying a lot more attention to their membership app rather than these external food deliveries. We could go further into the food delivery. Like um, The most recent changes to the food delivery platforms is you are starting to see a lot of these white labels come up. In US, if you order through Starbucks app or Chipotle app, even though you're on the Starbucks or Chipotle interface, the people delivering is going to be people from Uber Eats and, uh, and the other delivery platforms because they don't want to give up their own user interface and customer loyalty. So they only use these food delivery platforms solely for the food delivery service, which is not very profitable. So I think that's a really smart way to do things. Um, companies who prefer to do everything on other people's platform, uh, you're going to seize a lot of your bargaining power over to this third-party platform. Yes,
0: yes. And you don't have the data, you don't have the kind of, you know, all the range of information that you can get. Or when the person buy, what's their favourite flavour and all that stuff, right? It's, it's very hard exactly. to uh, work without your own app interface without your own data collection process and starbucks is not shy of using all the information that they have about you to try to exactly. <laughs> you know push you and get you to spend how they price their things how they do their promotion yeah it's very very tapered to the individual so that's the power of data even in a seemingly a company that seems like they only sell coffee and no right. no easy feat no easy feat yeah, so so that's good. Um, I think we got a broad idea of a lot of their businesses and all that stuff, which is great, right? So from growth opportunities to the core of the businesses, what are their financials looking like then? Like In terms of their business, you know, they're trying to do all these things, but are they really performing in terms of revenue and all that stuff?
1: Yeah, so like um, when we look at the amount of revenue growth, right? Uh, from 2013 all the way to 2019, they've grown revenue at uh, slightly above 10%. And operating income has grown by approximately the same amount uh, of more than 10%. The reason why I took 2019 is because COVID is a one-off event. So usually um, when we look at it, we want to look at uh, pre-COVID period. And operating margin harvests between 14 to 18%. And management is confident that uh, operating margin actually can increase to 20% mainly coming from increase in amount of licensed stores, uh, which we discussed earlier. That means like um, other people are going to come out with the capital. Starbucks is just going to sit back, collect royalty. And also because they are repositioning traditional Starbucks store into Starbucks pickup, which is going to cost even less. And with technology efficiency... by using their AI to enhance their operation management, you know, there's going to be less bottleneck and the turnaround time is going to shorten. Effectively, you need less manpower because their technology is not just to deal with queuing and all that. It's also got to do with inventory management, um, employee, your roster management, etc. So that's going to free up a lot of manpower. Um, when we look at long-term debt, right, it is not a small amount. It stands at uh, $14.6 billion dollars. The reason they have so much debt is not because they need the money, but because management recognizes that interest rate is super low and they want to be capital efficient in returning capital to shareholders. So they took a lot of debt and they took the royalty collected from Nestle um, and started buying back shares aggressively. When you're buying back shares, I think it's okay, but I don't like it when companies borrow debt in order to to buy back shares because I, I think you're just rushing things. Okay, so when I was looking at their proxy statement, proxy statement meaning like how the management is uh, remunerated back in 2018 and 2019. They are remunerated based on earnings per share. So earnings per share is a function of two things. One, earnings and how many shares you have, uh, which is why uh, understandably management took that approach. You know, like if you want your bonus, you have to <laughs> either increase the earnings rapidly or you string the share size extremely fast. Mm-hmm. So you see, management took a very aggressive approach in buying back shares even though share prices were quite expensive back then. So they started buying from 50 over dollars all the way to $120. You know, and I don't like it when management buy at all costs. I would prefer if management, you know, the time... So, when, when we look at COVID-19, when it struck, the share price fell from like 100 over dollars all the way to 50 over dollars, but they were left with $4 billion of cash on their balance sheet. You know, they exhausted most of their buying power already and they stopped buying, uh, you know, during opportune times. But when we look at whether they are still in a strong position, um, they still have a credit line of $2 billion, meaning like anytime they want to borrow, the bank um, has committed to lending them um, not just that, when we look at the amount of cash flow they are generating, it is still at a very, very healthy level. So they are, they are not going to run into liquidity crisis or anything anytime soon. It's just when it comes to capital allocation, um, I, I don't really like it when management is so aggressive in buying back shares. Um, when you don't have the cash uh, on hand and you have to resort to borrowing to do that. And just for the listeners, I saw the most recent proxy statement. They have changed the metric to return on invested capital, um, which is much yeah. better than earnings per <laughs> <RIC>. share. Oh, I
0: see. Okay, okay. Yeah. Good, good. Uh, New metric, share, better metrics.
1: <laughs> exactly. When, when it comes to earnings per share, it's um, very easily uh, manipulated and it may result in perverse action lah. But at least, at least uh, the new management, which is, uh, I think his name is Kevin Johnson. Yeah, so he, he has a tech background, used to be from Microsoft, which is why um, Starbucks has a very strong presence uh, when it comes to their digital presence. Because uh, when he came on board Starbucks, he was the one really driving all these digital in- initiatives. But the key difference when it comes to him and Howard Schultz is that Howard's he likes to build the Starbucks empire. Sometimes it's good, but half the time when he goes into Tivana, when he goes into Tazo, you know, all these are all losing money. He tried to buy over a bakery, you know, also close down. Whatever he touched, whatever he closed. So he spent uh-uh. a lot of money trying to go into adjacent lines. Um, yeah, so, so at least Kevin Johnson, he's focused on just one thing. Um which is really to just um, grow Starbucks' presence digitally and globally. So his laser focus on that.
0: Okay, so it's hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? So right. um Haushaus tried all these things and and of course he failed, right? But um right. are you concerned that, you know, the way they are managing their investors at this moment in time with the current management, you know, it's not very, not very healthy, you know, with all these share buybacks and, and all these things. Firstly, they're not done very well based on your, your belief because they are buying at all right. costs. Secondly, they are doubling down on digital, which is fine. And But every company is doubling down on digital. Um, right. But they're probably doing it a little bit better. But they're not really expanding into um, other adjacent... Or they're not milking their brand, you know, as, as much compared to what HowShouts was trying to do okay okay I, i won't say i won't say okay maybe i should clarify i'm not saying that they're not milking their brand they're milking their brand they do fmcg and all that stuff right but they are essentially just doing like starbucks it's like it's like just doing samsung you know just doing one thing and they're not like expanding into other other brands and are you concerned as an investor looking at how they are managing their investors at this moment in time and you know their expansion strategy
1: yeah, so I, I think that's a good point. Um, not many companies can be a spawner. It's usually in spawner. the DNA and in the culture. <laughs> uh, you know, spawning meaning like, like Amazon. That's the classic <laughs> example. You know, he can go into many, many adjacent. When you look at Google, when you look at Facebook, you know, they can go into many different adjacent. But for most companies, uh, I think it's better if they have a clear focus. Uh, because previously when they tried, uh, it's not very good return on investment. Um, whereas if you open a new Starbucks stores now, even in US or in China, you are getting ROI of 25 to 35%. You know, that's, that's a very decent rate. And I think in developing countries, they still have a long uh, runway to go. And not, not to forget that they are able to raise prices. Um, so, all this is going to deliver, like, uh, a decent growth rate. I think, like, at least between 8 to 15% comfortably um, when it comes to increasing their intrinsic value. Um, so, I'm, I'm not too concerned about their focus because uh, I think they have demonstrated that they don't have the ability to grow into adjacent. So, I, I would rather they just focus on, on one thing. And, and it's still a very strong brand. Um, when we look at very lasting brand like... Uh, Hermes or even Ferrari. I think Starbucks is at that level for coffee itself, Like if, if they don't screw it up, like screw up their branding, I think it's going to be a very very stable compounder.
0: Mm. That's definitely a point. But are you concerned about like their new management in the sense that, you know, Howard how stepped down, pass over to this tech guy, and there's management right. reshuffling and all that, right? So I, how would you, how will you rate their management? And are there some core people in the management that you think we should be aware of?
1: Yeah, so that's a good point because like when Howard stepped down in two thousand seven and two thousand eight, Starbucks really took a nosedive, um, yep. <laughs> because management they were they were very focused on um expansion. So, like just the opposite block, you are going to see another Starbucks, and they I I think they took out the coffee machine or something to replace with something even more efficient. So you no longer have that smell of um that roasting coffee bean smell, uh, you're you starting to lose a lot of these flavours and that was when they needed Howard Shoes to come back. Um, but for this set of management, um, they are not committing that same mistake. The only thing that I see with this management is how comfortable they are with taking on that. It is still a reasonable level. Um, and actually, Howard Shoes is still quite active um, when it comes to managing the company. I think he's more focused on the creative side. Um, no longer on the day-to-day operation because whenever I see them opening a new roastery, even after he stepped down, he's the first one to be there to give interview. It's not, it's not Kevin Johnson who's there. Yeah, he's the one there waving hand, commenting. Um, sometimes I wonder, I like, is he burn. even gone? Yeah. So so his presidency dream is gone. He wanted to be president back then. That's why he stood. He stood down. Um, but yeah, that's not going to happen, and he's still a major shareholder, uh, one of the largest one, and based on what I can see on media, at least, he's still very actively involved, and for Kevin Johnson, he's not cutting back on what made Starbucks magical. Um, last time, they used to overexpand, expand you know, bring down service level, but this, this is not happening with Kevin Johnson. Yeah, so I I don't really see that uh, as a super big risk now, but as you rightly pointed out, it's definitely something to keep track. Like, as investors and as consumers, if we start to see the standard declining or this, then then we really got to start worrying about these factors.
0: Yes, yes. It's the same with uh, transitioning out of any superstar CEO, right? Like Bill Gates transferred out, you know, Microsoft also went through a period of time, also rubbish, you know, and uh, not very easy to transit into another management team and still continue to grow or expand, you know, beyond uh, the legacy of the past. So um, I think it is a good point to note that, you know, this management team is still relatively young compared to... um, how long Houshauts has been building this business. So we got to continue to observe, uh, to see how they do different, different things and get a sensing uh, from an investor, like what would these guys do in different, different situations. I think there are a lot of uh, modes in this company. Like. I mean, you know, we've really talked about it here and there, you know, in, in the whole discussion. But at this moment in time, how about you just kind of sum it up, some of the core modes that you think are present in Starbucks as a company?
1: I think the core mode is definitely their branding. When when you think of coffee, the first thing you are going to think of is Starbucks. Like, um, I, I think two years ago, you saw the blunder with Game of Thrones. Like, when we see Game of Thrones, right, they accidentally left a cup while filming their show. You know, in, immediately the internet went crazy. Like, uh, why why do <laughs> they need a cup of Starbucks? You know, everybody's uh... holding those uh, very olden days... uh cup and then suddenly there's a start there's a coffee cup on the table that, it's not even you know Starbucks
0: there's cup. a there's, there's a discussion saying that these kind of things are, are left intentionally, right it's like like uh, free it's marketing
1: like, right Ooh, yeah actually, yeah. No, yeah it's
0: it's, like, a, it's it is a talking point so it's it's what we call a running gag in entertainment like you purposely put this one thing in the middle of nowhere right and then people yeah. pick it up so you know actually a lot of these companies they do pay you know I'm not sure if this like it's like a paid thing or or what happened but yeah it's 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 a it's an interesting thing.
1: Yeah, it could be. I, I think that's a good point. Uh, like, uh, you purposely make some silly mistake. You know, the show will go <laughs> viral because everybody will be talking about it. People will be tweeting. Instagram will be showing. You know, it just start going viral. And yes. yeah, I, I guess the biggest point here is um, like when you see a coffee cup, people just immediately assume it's a Starbucks cup. Yeah, so so it really signifies uh, the strong branding behind Starbucks and it's just top of the mind and not just that, when you, when you go to countries like um, China and Bangkok for example um, you're going to see like super long queues around Starbucks because people just like that um, ATA's feeling of visiting those stores So I, I see this uh, as a relatively safe company but I'm paying very close attention to like what you say uh, whether management will dilute the brand uh, whether their transition into pickup stores, essentially our of tea store format, uh, whether mm. that will work out. Because after all, they used their competitive advantage used to be the third place. People want to hang out there. And now they are slowly um, putting some of their stores as these pickup stores, and I really want to monitor um, that. But for now, they are doing well. Quite a stable company compared to many of the other tech companies I'm, I'm looking at. Lah. So for this, branding is really strong.
0: Fair. I love I love how you are saying like compared to other tech companies because in your head they are also a tech company. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's good to know. But yes, yeah, definitely something to observe because uh, I do think that they are milking their brand like crazy at this moment in time. You know whether is it from pickup store or FMCG and and all that stuff because um reality is once you go into the FMCG space for everybody that don't know it's just selling capsules and um those kind of stuff. It does kind of change the brand identity a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's like, hmm. So now Starbucks is like mass calm, is it like mass consumer? or or what's going on and actually it's very affordable ready right, to have a starbucks mm. at home with that kind of capsule relative to being at their store right so over time i think it's still good to observe to see some of these expansion plans are they diluting the brand are, are they kind of diluting the business right because honestly mm. if you can have your own coffee at home then you don't need delivery steam sauce sales and all those kind of stuff uh, but of course it's, it looks pretty resilient from a number standpoint at this moment in time but uh just keeps keep observing. Look. I think these are some good changes that are happening in uh, exploration. Good stuff, right? So um, do we want to kind of run through the valuation part of the company since we already talked about this whole thing? Um, what do you think? Okay, we're not trying to give miracle pricing. Uh, we're not trying to give buy calls mm-hmm. or sell calls today, but it's just more like uh, how would you evaluate this company? How would you value them uh, from a valuation standpoint?
1: So for us, stable company for a merger company like Starbucks, um, price to earnings ratio is quite a good metric when it comes to getting a rough sensing of um, where their valuations stand. So their long-term price to earnings ratio is around 25 times. And if we were to look at their price to earnings ratio today, we normalize it. We, we ignore the impact of COVID-19. Um, the ratio is around 33 times. Um, it has, the share price has shot up like super fast. Um, so much so that I don't think they offer a very good uh, risk-to-reward ratio when it comes to investing in them today. So I'm a long-time investor of Starbucks, but recently I started to liquidate some of my position because I think conservatively they are delivering about 7 to 8% returns, just just a rough estimate because valuation is never precise. Um, And as an investor, I would prefer to have more than 15% returns and the uh, earlier tech pullback we saw this year, it gave me some opportunity mm-hmm. to start redeploying my cash because I don't usually keep a lot of uh, investable cash my cash reserve is usually quite low um, quite fully invested most of time. so like um, from time to time I'll start rotating whenever opportunities arise so I held Starbucks from I think 2012 all the way until this year where I started to liquidate, nice. to go out into other companies. Now. So I, I think they are in a good position to deliver around 8%. Um, a good way to think about this uh, valuation, right, is to you just take the return on invested capital multiply by um, their payout ratio or rather their reinvestment rate. So they are going to reinvest 50% of their earnings um, every single year. That's their plan. And the other 50%, they will issue dividends or they will buy back shares. So, when they are reinvesting at 50% and they foresee return on invested capital to be 30%, they are growing their intrinsic value roughly at about 15% a year. And if the P multiple were to start shrinking from 33 to 25 times where their median is, then you are going to get a return of lower than 15%, more or less around 10%. So, as an investor, I would be comfortable with investing in Starbucks at around $80. Eighty over dollars, yeah. I think that's uh, that that would put me at a better position to to really uh, benefit from compounding more than fifteen percent.
0: Fair, good to know. But um, okay. So interesting on this. So I think Starbucks is trying to do a lot of the delivery, trying to do a lot right. of the tech play, right? Do you think that is going to be factored into their median in the in terms of that their their PE mean? Yeah, like, I, I think that's are a good point. Investors gonna, all these investors going like to be like, oh, maybe Starbucks can trade at 30-something 30, 30 now or at least, you know, be in the, the mid-30s uh, with some of the gaming players and the tech players. Not so yeah, much so, in the mid-20s.
1: So, I, I think that's a good point. Like, um, you know, if, yeah, so, sometimes the market can get a little bit crazy and it's definitely <laughs> possible. I mean, when you look at Chipotle, right? Chipotle is trading, like, I, I think, PE of almost 100 times. Um, Largely because investors are very bullish about their digital growth. strategy
0: mm.
1: yeah, mm. and their growth. But they are coming off a much smaller base. Uh, they are only in America and even within America, they have much more room to grow. Whereas for Starbucks globally, they, have, they are only second to McDonald's, I think. or oh, Subway is number one, McDonald's number two, and then number three is Starbucks. So in Subway terms of, is number one? I think Subway might be number one. Really?
0: Wow. I okay, think Subway okay. might be number
1: one. Shout yeah.
0: out to Subway. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. So, oh, yeah. By the way, Subway is 100% uh, franchisee model, uh, which is why they are mm. able to expand uh, much, much faster. fair, fair.
0: Very light. Yeah. Mm.
1: Then McDonald's and Starbucks is half, half in between. Yeah. So, AAA is coming mo- a much smaller base. And another interesting fact is also Bill Ekman used to be a major shareholder of Starbucks. He has also recently sold. And he put his money with Domino's, <laughs> just in case your readers is wondering where his money went to. So, he also don't really hold a lot of cash. Yeah, so, he, he don't think that Starbucks is going to offer the kind of returns um, they are going to offer, because, simply because, uh, just based on valuation, the valuation has ran quite ahead of itself. And, and so, he started to change his position to Domino's Pizza.
0: Okay, that's cool. Good to know. And Bill Eggman is the guy behind the restaurant brand spec. So, yes, yeah. uh, for all of yeah, you that you exactly. know, yeah, he's the guy that put all the restaurants together and listed it as a spec. So, yes. Uh, but, okay, but that's, that being said, I'm not trying to like idolize him because he did do stupid things like Valiant Pharmaceuticals yes. and all the other things. Everybody have their own uh, good and bad. So, don't over idolize. But uh, I would say, at least in the restaurant space, he does understand. Um, his stuff lah. I mean, he did put together a spec. So, for all of you, uh, can go and understand Pershing Square and all that. We can talk about that another time, okay? Yeah. But um, so I, I think there's a lot of good juices that came out of this uh, discussion together with you. Um, any last conclusions that you have for all of us when we're evaluating Starbucks as a company?
1: Yeah, I think most importantly is uh keep an eye on the same store sales growth and then um evaluate what the management is doing. So. Since their proxy statement has changed, I saw that the share buyback has started to slow down super fast. Like <laughs> suddenly, share buyback just, yeah, they are they are using their capital for other stuff, right? Finally, so continue yes. to monitor that. Yeah, rightfully said by you. Like, um, management change is you know you always got to be careful about that, especially when we saw Microsoft go sideways for I think a decade under yes, it was so uh, Steve Ballmer. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. then it's Both only after the they change the CEO, CEO again Yeah, this is such a strong company, no, we've such a strong <laughs> no, no, mode, but uh. um Starbucks is equally strong, but under a rubbish management it, it may go sideways for a long time. But so far so far it's okay. Um, gotta keep monitoring if Howard shoots continue to slowly release uh, his control over Starbucks.
0: Okay, there, yeah, so I think I think that's definitely good to know. Same as Disney, um, it took a very long time for oh yes. the Disney management to transit and it's not very healthy. Um, but yeah, you never know. Disney looks like it's doing a little bit better now. There's a, they have gotten their footing together. They know what they're trying to do. Um, mm. Financials-wise, it's a big question mark. We can talk about that another time. So also yes, a lot of that. Thanks. Yeah, also a lot of weird things going on, but you know I do think that at least the management has gotten it together finally compared, right. to, compared to you know that whole period where uh, yo, yo, quit. I be quick uh, am I going to stay here? Am I going to extend? Yeah. It's like, my goodness, <laughs> stupid transition process. Yeah, but man. yes, uh, that's for another day, so uh, let's come back and talk about it another day. okay. Thank you. thanks for joining us, Thomas. Thanks for joining us, all of you. take care. Take care. Hey Coconut, so I hope you learned something useful today and definitely recognize that investing is a personal decision. We're not giving you any recommendations here but i always happy to geek out with you about different interesting companies and trends for the future. This series has a lot more depth and terms so if you have any questions for us, do join our community telegram group or DM us on our socials. Link is in the description. If you love us and want to help us grow, definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. And to stay tuned with what is happening in the markets and in the TFC network, do sign up for our weekly newsletter at thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, I hope you have a great day ahead and may you improve to become a confident, insightful and disciplined investor, ultimately creating the life you love while managing your finances well. See ya next week.